Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I am your host, Ravi Straczynski, and thank you so much for joining us on episode number six of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. If you were to look up the expression good for poker in the dictionary, I'm positive that you'd see a picture of Maria Konnikova. The award-winning author and accomplished poker player has once again made big waves with the release of her latest book, The Biggest Bluff, How I Learned to Pay Attention, Master Myself, and Win. In the months following the release of her book, her name has been on everyone's lips as Maria has been a tour de force, gracing pretty much every media outlet in the world with her scintillating presence. I'm so thrilled that we're finally getting our turn. Maria, welcome to Cards Chat. I'm so happy to be speaking with you. I'm really happy to be here, Robbie. Thank you for that generous, if not if not deserved <laughs> intro. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, the check's in the mail, right? Okay, good. <laughs> you got it. Um, and certainly very much, uh, much deserved. Um, your latest book, The Biggest Bluff, was released in late June. Uh, here we are talking in September. Since that time, it seems like everywhere I turn, there's another interview with you, both in <laughs> poker media, as well as plenty of mainstream media outlets as well. What has this whole period of time been like for you? Um, you know, it's it's been um, a very different experience from releasing my other books because of COVID. Um, so all of my book tours were canceled. Um, I had a U.S. tour, I had a U.K. tour, um, other events, and all of that went away. Um, and instead, we had to do a really big push for you know virtual things, um, and it was quite challenging to to make sure that you know the book didn't disappear um, because. It's a it's a tough time. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, mm -hmm. but um, so I, I I knew this was going to be a challenge, and so I basically started working on uh, publicity about three months, four months before the book came out. Um, mm -hmm. I started reaching out to all of my contacts in kind of mainstream media, asking mm -hmm. if I could write pieces, doing doing what I could. So it's really been a full-time gig for, for a while now, um, but I'm really glad that it seems that the book has resonated with oh. a lot of people. So, oh, yeah, so absolutely. That, uh, that has made me very happy. Awesome. And, and I'm just actually wondering, and I know of those who self-published this, is obviously you had a, a proper publisher for this, is the promotion of the book on you or on them or sort of split? Like, how does that, how does that actually work? You know, it, it really depends. So every, I, I do have a publicist. Everyone does in the sense that um, if you're with a publishing house, so I'm with Penguin Press, who's absolutely wonderful. Um, and I have a publicist, Colleen, from Penguin Press, and she's been great. Um, and it's actually been the best publicity experience I've had um, for any of my books. So, so there's that part. But at the end of the day, no one's going to care about your publicity as much as you. So some people end <laughs> up um, some people end up hiring outside publicists. I've never done that, but I know that it can be quite effective. So people who are actually paid to publicize your book, just your book, and aren't from the publisher. So I did not do that. Um, and instead, it was kind of me. Um, I've been in media for a while and so um, I have a lot of editorial context and so it was a it was a combination of Penguin and um, me 
you know, pushing everyone, pushing all of the contacts that I had, um, organizing them, you know, lots of Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> and, and very successfully. I said tour de force and I really did mean it. It's unbelievable. You've done, from my, where I sit here, uh, you know, internationally, you've done a phenomenal job. So kudos to you. Um, Thank you. Let's take it back a little bit before this book. You studied uh, psychology and creative writing at Harvard. You got your PhD in psychology at Columbia. Did you at any point consider becoming a, a full-time academic perhaps? And what was it that made you get into writing specifically? No, never, never. I never wanted to be in academia. Um, I hate academia, to be perfectly honest. Um, I loved getting my PhD. I loved the intellectual stimulation and the environment. I think the actual world of professional academia is horrible, the most political backstabbing thing I have ever encountered in my wow. life. And <laughs> not once did I ever want to enter it. However, um, I and I always wanted to be a writer. That was that was always the game plan. Um, what ended up happening was that, you know, I, I graduated um, and I was writing for television um, and it was really exhausting and I had no time at all to work on my own writing. And by the way, when I say I was writing for television, it took a while. You know, I went through, I think, five or six jobs in my first year out of college. I was a bartender. I worked in advertising as a copywriter. I mean, did everything um, and nothing stuck until until I went into TV, which did stick, but um, was exhausting and took everything out of me. And I realized that I never would have time for my own writing and I missed it and I really wanted space to be able to do that. Now, you know, I don't come from a wealthy family. My parents couldn't support me, so I had to earn money. Um, and I, it's, it's funny, I, I decided I wanted to go back to school so that I would have the time and the space to think and to write and to kind of consider my own thoughts and ideas. And I was deciding between an MFA, which is the graduate degree for um, writing, the Master's of Fine Arts, or a PhD. And you pay for an MFA and you get paid to get a PhD. So that kind of made the decision <laughs> for me. Um, and I specifically, I was very, very honest. My graduate advisor is, well, was um, since he unfortunately died a few years ago, just one of the greatest minds of 20th century psychology. And he was at the end of his career. He didn't think he was gonna be taking any more graduate students. And I convinced him to, and I was actually very honest with him. I said, I don't wanna go into academia. I wanna be a writer. And I just want to do this for, you know, I wanna study with you. I wanna learn from you. I want to kind of have this experience. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I wouldn't want to go into academia today either. <laughs> it's, it's, not wow. the place I, it's not the place I entered. And he took me on um, as a grad student. Hmm. And that ended up being a really gratifying relationship. And so when I was in grad school, that's when I wrote my first book. I actually took a leave of absence in the middle of my PhD to write Mastermind. Um, and then went back and finished my PhD. So, so that was always, the writing was always going to be the plan. And the PhD was you know, to learn more about the mind, about how we think, what motivates us. And I think, and I'm very, very grateful that I did that because I do think that in the academic environment as a student, you just have so much opportunity to soak up the wisdom of so many people, um, so many brilliant people. And that's the beautiful thing about academia. Now, I don't want to go into the field because I hate the you know backstabbing publisher <laughs> parish uh, type of mentality, but, but 
there are, you can love certain things about it and yet really don't want to go into this as a profession for other reasons. That is such a pure answer and you're so incredibly <laughs> well-spoken. Wow, that's a brilliant answer. Um, well, about writing, I mean, apart from perhaps Phil Hellmuth, nobody gets into poker specifically to win bracelets. So I think for writing, I don't think anyone gets into that to win awards or pen New York Times bestsellers. But you've accomplished that. So I'm wondering, how did those literary achievements feel to you as a writer? I mean, incredible. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, it's funny whenever anyone asks me, you know, what do I do to become a writer? Um, I say two things. First, I say, just write. There are no shortcuts. Just like with poker, play. <laughs> you, need to, you need to study. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot that you have to do. But the other thing I say is, if you don't love it, if you don't absolutely need to do it, then do something else because it's never going to be a steady profession. Um, in the United States, you're never going to have health care. You're never going to have benefits. You're never going to have a paycheck. You know, you, you're going to have to figure all of that out for yourself. Um, and you need to really, really love it. You don't do this. You don't get into it to make money. You don't get into it to, as you say, you know, win bracelets. That's, that's just not, um, that's not something that you can expect. Um, all you can expect is what you do and what you put into it. But then, um, if you love it, then I say go for it and, and really put your heart into it. And so I became a writer because I just, I was miserable doing anything else. And I tried and I just, I kept coming back to it. I missed it so much. I felt like, you know, on days when I don't write, there's just like this big hole inside of me. Um, and so that's why I did it. But of course, if you get recognition, that's, not just the cherry on top. I mean, that there's really something special about knowing that other people have connected with your words, that you've actually been able to touch other lives. I mean, that to me is such a gratifying thing. And that's something that it's a feeling that I really haven't found in anything else. Um, and if I, you know, I, I always say if I can change at least one life for the better, then I've done my job as a writer. And so every time I hear from anyone who says, you know, I really, I really liked your, your article. I really liked your book. I like this. I like that. That's why you write, you know, for, for those, for those little, for those little moments. Um, the New York Times bestseller list is a crapshoot. <laughs> <laughs> you have to you have to get lucky you know it's it's like a poker tournament it's the subject of the biggest bluff um you have to work hard and you have to play well but you also have to get lucky um and my first book ended up i got very very lucky um in that i had somehow captured the popular zeitgeist multiple years before it happened mm. so when when the book came out it was like this perfect moment. So the first book was about Sherlock Holmes and mindfulness at a time when no one really knew what mindfulness was. And not nobody, but it wasn't part of the popular vocabulary. Sure. Um, and all of a sudden, like it was the beginning of the mindfulness movement. And I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times um, before the book came out on mindfulness. And that op-ed became actually one of their most read pieces of the year. And it helped propel the book onto the New York Times bestseller list. And the Sherlock Holmes moment happened at the exact same time. You know, the movie started coming out, Sherlock, the BBC series came out, all of these things, all of a sudden Sherlock Holmes had a moment. Um, and it's, it's very funny because people, 
um, accused me of riding the Sherlock Holmes bandwagon. And I said, guys, do you know how long books take? <laughs> I, this book was conceived years ago. I had no, I, no idea that Sherlock Holmes would have a moment. So I got very, very lucky in those respects. Um, and that actually, I mean, that kickstarted my career for real. I'd been writing before and I'd published articles, but that gave me a legitimacy and a platform that I had never had before. Well, amazing. And then with all of that, somehow you never realized how many, you know, how many cards were in a deck. <laughs> that's, that's, I think, I've heard a number of times you never played any card games growing no. up. No, we. I don't even think we had a deck of cards. I don't. I didn't come from a games playing household. My mom hates games, um, and you know my my dad likes to you know ride bikes with us or go hiking or do outdoor stuff. I mean, he used to back in back in Russia. He, we have photographs of him, you know, climbing frozen waterfalls and exploring the wow. Arctic and all of wow. these things. That's that's the kind of guy he is. Um, so, which is wonderful. But we read, we read books. We didn't even have a TV growing up. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that was game night on, in the Kondakova household was, you know, let's, let's read a book out loud together. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I really, it's funny. I, I definitely have um, inherited my mom's allergy to, to board games and oh, those sorts of things. When my, yeah, when my nieces and nephews, um, when they, take out, you know, those board games, especially if it's Catan, I just yeah. have this moment of, of dread and say, oh my God, are we really going to have to do this? And I love them to pieces. So of course <laughs> I play it with them, but I dread it. I hate that game. I hate well, that game so well, much. How about chess? Less of a community? No, no, no chess, game. no chess. Really? So I, I, I was, um, because I'm a Russian Jewish girl, mm -hmm. um, when we moved to the United States, you know, I started school here. I didn't speak English, but eventually I learned when I was about in fourth grade, um, um, my parents decided there was a chess club and they're like, Oh, you know, maybe she'll enjoy chess. So they signed me up for this chess club. I went for a week and then I played my first game against someone who was five years old. He was in kindergarten and he beat me in three moves. And then I played chess. That was the end of my illustrious chess career. Well, you've learned how to speak English quite well um, since then. So so, <laughs> no, so, so I just, um, you know, I, it's funny. I think I'm, I won't say I'm unique because maybe there's someone else, but I'm close to unique, I'm guessing, in the poker world of being someone who doesn't like games, um, who doesn't play games and never came, grew up playing games. All the poker players I know are games players, yep. are people who really loved that and then came to poker either because someone in their family played poker or because they played you know, Magic the Gathering and then eventually played poker or they played chess or they played this or they played that. So I haven't found anyone else like me who's like, nope, never played games, don't like games, um, take please get the games away from me. Huh. Um, but I, so I really, really did not know how many cards were in a deck. I was close. I thought there were 54. Um, right. <laughs> but um, I'm glad we cleared that up because my pot odds calculations would be very off. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, we got, we're getting the, the poker lingo. We're getting into it. So I got I guess I got to ask you a poker question. Um, you know, of course you chronicle your journey in the biggest bluff, but it's not, it's not just the study. It's not just knowing the pot odds, not just the mathematics, not even just the gameplay. In poker, there's also an aspect of community. And for so many people, the poker community, it is a family of sorts. Did at any point, I imagine you by now, you must feel like you're part of the poker community rather than an outsider. Did, at what point did that happen? Um, 
I'm not sure. I think that in some ways it happened very early on because the person who brought me into the game was Eric Seidel. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone loves Eric, deservedly. I mean, he is one of the best people I know. Not, just, not in poker, I just mean period. Um, he is just, he's a good soul. Um, he's someone who is incredibly kind and generous and people know that and people respect him. So when he introduces you to someone, they listen. Um, and so very early on, the first time I went to Vegas, um, you know, Eric introduced me to all of his friends and the people that he plays with and the people that he thought would be helpful to me. And they were so incredibly warm and welcoming um, and wonderful. And they really showed me what poker could be. Now, I didn't still feel like part of the poker community, both because, you know, I felt to like a total imposter at the poker tables, but also because this is a very tiny slice of the poker community. Sure. You have these super high rollers. You know, these were the you know, Phil Galfond, Ike Haxton, Jason Kuhn, like Dan Smith. These were the guys who, who I was spending time with, which was wonderful for my poker experience, mm -hmm. but not necessarily representative of the full world of poker. Um, and it took, it took a little while. I think it took when I started really playing seriously and traveling and seeing kind of the same people um, and spending time with them, then eventually I think something changed in, in that year. Um, but I would say it took maybe like the first, the first time I was at the Rio, the first world series I was at, I definitely did not feel like part of the community. By the time the second one uh, rolled around, I definitely felt like I was part of the community. So it was, it was sometime between uh, 2017 and 2018 where there was a huge shift. Um, and I think part of it was that in obviously in early 2018 is when I won the PCA national and that really changed my trajectory in the poker world. And it, you know, it changed, um, changed a lot of things in that I really then, you know, I, I joined Poker Stars Team Pro and I started traveling full time. Uh, in 2018, I spent um, about eight months on the road. Wow. Um, it was exhausting, but that's, that's when you, I really started bonding with a lot of people. Awesome. Well, as, as you get deeper and deeper into poker, often, you know, people find that their habits change. For example, they start waking up at noon and going to sleep at 4 a.m. Is that something that, that sort of happened to you? Did you change the habits along with sort of getting deeper into the lifestyle? No, I mean, I, I'm someone who really firmly believes that in order to perform at your best, you need to have a very healthy lifestyle and really manage these sorts of things. Um, so I made a very, very conscious effort to um, not change a lot of the habits of kind of, of a mindful lifestyle that I've acquired over time because I thought that they gave me a huge edge at the table. So I meditate every morning. I do yoga every single morning, no matter how late I played the night before, no matter where I am in the world. You know, I travel with a yoga mat. I travel with all of these things. Um, I really watch what I eat. The first thing I do, if there's a Whole Foods or any sort of a, you know, market, where you can buy food near wherever I'm staying, the first thing I do is go there and buy food and uh, make sure that I'm eating well. Um, sleeping is the most difficult thing, of course, because you're jet lagged and you're constantly in new places and the schedule can get really warped. But um, I, I, do, I do my best. Um, and I... Um, you know, that's the one thing that it, sometimes it's it's a little bit hard to control, um, especially because I am not a fan of any sleeping aids. Um, I've done way too much research into them um, and 
so they they terrify me um mm-hmm. so i would never take anything to be able to sleep um so sometimes it's just not possible but but i do my best <laughs> sure well it's also a very insightful response because you know so many people if you're studying you want to get better you want to be like the best top professionals there's a lot of off the felt work which has nothing to do with poker it is just maintaining that mindfulness the the healthy schedule the healthy sleep habits and you know that's that's what the, the top pros do, uh, and uh, and kudos to you. And that is obviously part uh, and parcel of your success. Um, you know, I got to ask you know, with all of this travel that you've done, all the players that you played with, both in high roller settings as well as let's call them non high roller settings. Uh, who are the friendliest uh, poker players that you've come across and have enjoyed sitting with at the tables? Um. I mean, the people who I became friendliest with were the people, I mean, the people I worked with the most obviously were Eric Seidel and Phil Galfond, and they're kind of the two people who I view as kind of my my strongest influences and the people who helped me the most. I never played with Phil because he doesn't travel and he doesn't really uh, <laughs> play anymore. Um, and I've only ever, I actually did play with Eric a few times um, when we randomly got, you know, got put on the same table. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other player who I've actually become close friends with throughout this process is Chrissy Bicknell, um, mm-hmm. who I, she's actually the only poker player who, you know, she and I have made plans to see each other totally separate of poker tournaments like she's come to new york we've had i was supposed to go to toronto i didn't because of covid but she and i have actually um gone beyond poker as friends and every time i'm at a table with her it's wonderful because she's just a ray of sunshine and she's such an inspiration i mean talk about a badass female poker player like she (laughs) she can she can crush everyone um and i hope people look at her and say you know wow um I, I want to do that too. I think yeah. that she serves as such a role model for for women in the game. And I actually think that the females in the game are extraordinary. I mean, two of them are no longer there. Liv Barry, who's someone else who I really have bonded with and really admire, and Vanessa Selps. They were both there when I began, and they both retired um, before I left. Um, but they're extraordinary. Um, and then in terms of you know the the other players. I would say Ike Haxton and Dan Smith are two of the friendly, and Jason Kuhn, actually. They're some of the friendliest people you'll ever meet and so incredibly nice and welcoming um, and just great individuals. So I would definitely put them put them all up there. That's, that's wonderful to hear that, and especially uh, hearing that you've gotten to know them outside of poker and, and truly developed a, a friendly relationship. That's, that's wonderful to me. Yeah, I know that's what poker's all about, you know, my, I always say like my, my friendliest players, it's, you know, the ones in my home game, you know, and I talk to them yeah. also the same thing outside of poker and uh, certainly resonates with me. And I think that's just, uh, I, I, I got to say also about Liv and about Vanessa, hey, it's a long game, you know, there's, you know, another yeah. 50, 60, 70 years, they may return to the table. So don't count them out. Just who knows? Yet. Who knows? And I, 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 saw, I can't believe I forgot him. I need to add Chewy to the list of most <laughs> and most wonderful players. I love Chewy so much. That's Chewy, right. Andrew Wittenberger for yes. those uh, who don't know yet. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so sorry that I forgot to mention you right away, but but I'm uh, pausing now to make sure that he gets his full uh, yeah. his full recognition. And then certainly one uh, of the mindfulness uh, genre. Yeah, that's, uh, um, well, of course, in poker, we're not supposed to be results oriented, but I am wondering if perhaps you could compare the feelings that you expressed earlier uh, about your literary achievements uh, to the feeling that you got when you have a poker achievement, like 
winning that 2018 PCA National Championship? You know, there, there are definite similarities in the sense of, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Um, the poker was, it, it's funny, it, it's very different because it, it's, it's such a, it was just not something I ever expected. It was, it was one of these things where at least the writing is in my realm and something that, that I've really been working towards. And the poker was just a shock. I mean, I, it's very funny. I was rewatching um, the footage of the end of the PCA national championship. And then my exit interview after I won and all these things, I don't remember a single word of what I said. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, wow, I said that <laughs> because I was just on this like adrenaline cloud that had that had pushed me through the days because, you know, these are long tournaments. Um, and if you are if you're winning one, you've been playing nonstop <laughs> for multiple days. Um, and I, you know, it was it was also it was more gratifying in a way because it wasn't just for me. You know, I I felt like in that moment, you know, I was no longer letting down Eric and all of the people who had invested so much time um, and had supported me so much along the journey. Um, the it was, I think, better than than the moment of winning was actually afterwards. Um, Eric and his wife Rua took me out to dinner um, to celebrate, and that was one of the nicest evenings I can remember. Oh, that's beautiful. That's just heartwarming. I love that response. Um, but wow, <laughs> I don't have a good transition to my next question. That's just such a beautiful moment. So I want to start there. <laughs> um, I can tell you, though, that uh, as a member of the uh, poker media, I work in the poker industry. Everything that you have done for our game, it's just wonderful. I love it. I, I have to say thank you. You know, we're, we're just absolutely elated to see the type of reach that you have given and continue to give uh, the game that we love into the mainstream. So first of all, before I even ask the question, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, it's awfully, awfully kind of you to it's, say it's that. It's the real deal. Um, okay, so question then. With all of the interviews that you have been doing, uh, you know, in, in, after the production, the, sorry, the publication of The Biggest Bluff, what type of interview have you enjoyed more? A mainstream interview or a poker uh, media type of interview? You know, they're, they're quite different. Um, and so um, I've enjoyed them differently. I think it's like comparing apples and oranges in a way. Um, I've had fascinating conversations with poker media um, and, you know, people who really love to get into the strategy and kind of my thought process about a lot of things. And that's a lot of fun. And it's, um, it's really interesting. And we can talk about a lot of strategic things. And we can, you know, talk with the vocabulary of poker and I don't have to stop every second to to explain what I mean. And so that's that's been a lot of fun. With mainstream media, it's been very cool to be able to take kind of the to really shift the perspective and to show how poker really, or at least the way that I experience poker isn't about poker. Um, it's about so much more and how the game is really a game of life, um, but much more enjoyable than the actual game of life, which is really, really, really boring. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, I, I don't like that board game, but can right. you, can you, can, can you see that I don't love board games? Yes. I can <laughs> but, uh, pattern, yes. But, but poker really is this, um, wonderful game of life and so it's a challenge and a really wonderful challenge when I'm talking to mainstream media 
to make sure that, you know, I don't get into the poker speak and that I keep it high level enough and get people who didn't care about the game, someone like me three years ago, to get them excited about it. And there's something really great about that. Uh, I have to harp on that three years ago. That's just still so unbelievable to think about that. I mean, people work their entire lives and study and everything and and just don't see the type of uh, trajectory you've managed in such a short time. It's so impressive. And again, at least to me also, a recreational player takes the game seriously. And I'm sure uh, many of our Cards Chat listeners out there as well, just such an inspiring tale that, no, the the quote unquote, the dream is not dead. If you put in the work (laughs) and the time and the effort, uh, even if you didn't know how many cards were in a deck, you could reach these, uh, you know, incredible heights. So, so uh, thank you for you know, maintaining that, that inspiration for us as well. Um, so I've got to ask you then, you know, you've been talking a lot to the media, both in the poker and in the mainstream. And of course, you're very fully ensconced in the game. So surely you must understand that with your exceptional background and you're being so well-spoken, you're such a wonderful ambassador for our game. So what do you find most challenging as well as most enjoyable about being that ambassador for poker now? Um, The thing that I find most challenging is just how often people refuse to listen to what I have to say because they just dismiss me offhand Mm. as someone who is um, the face of gambling. Um, And they, they refuse to listen to the fact and to all of the explanations I offer that poker is not gambling. And they bombard me with, yeah, well, you know, it's an addiction and it ruins lives and you're, ter- you're a terrible human being for, for being an ambassador for this. And that's frustrating. Um, you know, there are only so many ways that I can explain why poker isn't gambling and why I actually think that treating the game seriously um, is a huge net positive for society. Um, but but that's, that's always a challenge. Um, and it's something that you have to get through. But one of the things that I find most inspiring and most gratifying is when you know I've actually been able to to do with poker something similar to what I've done with writing where I will sometimes have people say to me wow like I you really kind of opened my mind to the possibilities I've had people tell me that they've made actually huge career shifts because of this not becoming professional poker players but taking risks Mm -hmm. and actually realizing that you could do something like this and a lot of people have discovered poker I've said wow this is wonderful like I actually see what you mean this is so interesting and that's helping me in real life and when I see stories like that that's that's what makes it worthwhile and I do believe in this game um, and I do believe in it's possible the possibilities that it can provide for making the world a much better place a much uh, kinder place and that's such a a lot of people when they hear me say that they just raise an eyebrow and say poker kindness I'm like yeah empathy it teaches you to read people (laughs) it's a good skill good skill to have for sure and you're talking about uh, opportunities I'd be remiss if I didn't mention of course for for 18 months you had a big opportunity with working with poker stars they provided you with a very big platform via which to promote the game. And of course, their brand, obviously. Is there anything that you miss about being affiliated with them uh, contractually? And what do you feel that you gained most from your work with them during your your brand ambassadorship? Um, I do not miss being affiliated with them, but I think that um, I would not have had nearly the opportunities that I did to kind of travel the world and get to see the full scope of the of the 
poker community if it weren't for Poker Stars. I mean, after I became sponsored, I was able to go to Macau. You know, I was able to go to all of these tournaments that I frankly never would have gone to on my own um, because I couldn't afford to. And so it was, um, that was, I think, the opportunity that they gave me to really explore all the elements of of the competitive poker circuit that I wanted to explore were wonderful. Um, and I really appreciate that. Um, but there's something nice right now, um, just being myself. <laughs> mm, I hear that. Well, do you foresee yourself perhaps in the future joining forces either with them or maybe another big poker operator? Um, we'll say, I mean, I will, uh, if anyone if anyone comes to me with offers, I'm happy to entertain them. Um, but I, you know, I do think that there are some really great um, poker operators out there. You know, I let's uh, I'm biased, but but there's a reason I'm biased. Let's give a big shout out to Phil Galfond and Run It Once. Um, you know, a site that really does care about poker and about its players. Um, mm -hmm. And that doesn't have a lot of the elements that I don't like about a lot of other poker sites, such as using poker as a gateway to casino games, which mm -hmm. I really don't like. Um, that really, that really bothers me. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I really, um, there are definitely operators out there who I think care about the game deeply and care about the players. Um, and if they were to, ever kind of want me to work with them, then I would certainly consider it. Mm -hmm. Nice. So I, I have to ask then, so you've mentioned before the travel and, the, you know, the opportunity to see the world at this point, now that, you know, you've had those experiences. So besides the compensation factor, what would sort of have to be in it for you to feel like you're benefiting from such an arrangement of being a sponsored pro? I mean, I think that I think that it would just depend on kind of the kind of platform I was able to have to to try to get people excited about the game because mm. I do feel I, I mean I do love uh, I do love the opportunity for for new players to join um, and I do feel like we need more women and we need more female ambassadors and so just for that for that simple reason um, I would have to consider it because there just there aren't that many of us um, and um, I would be happy to kind of lend lend my name and lend myself to someone I believed in um, and to something that I to an approach that I that I believed in um, otherwise I think it's just the in some ways it's, it's very interesting I don't I don't know if I need the legitimacy anymore, but in the past, that was definitely a plus in the sense that um, it was helpful to be able to say that I had an actual platform in the poker world. Um, right now, I'm actually not sure if that's the case anymore or not. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Right. That's interesting. Well, I can tell you that when I first saw the announcement of uh, Maria Konnikova joining as a sponsor pro, I was like, who? And that's because I hadn't read your books. I'm a poker guy. I just know that. And now it's more of like, ah, so-and-so signed Maria Konnikova. You're known. Believe me. You got it. <laughs> so you, you've reached that point. Um, we'll take a step back. We've got to take a little breather, tap the brakes. I imagine it's, it's perhaps gotten a little bit exhausted doing so many interviews, Maria. What do you do to unwind <laughs> um, I'm just going to laugh for the next five minutes. Um. <laughs> well played, well played.
Um, I, I wish I had time to uh, unwind. I'm actually um, in the midst of multiple new projects right now. Um, and so if anything, my time has become much more limited um, than it has uh, been for a long time. So, so it's been, um, it's been a wild ride. Um, and I've been in New York the whole time. And um, with COVID, it's been very difficult because for long stretches of time, you basically couldn't go outside. Um, now, um, you know, it's, it's quite stressful. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to get out of the city um, mm -hmm. and to actually have one weekend <laughs> where I don't have to do any media, <laughs> where, I can just read, <laughs> where I can just read a book um, outside somewhere. Nice. Maybe next to a lake or next to the water. That's beautiful. I hear a Walden that would, would Pond be nice. in Massachusetts is very nice. <laughs> that has your joke. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Hey, I grew up there, so. Oh, really? So Massachusetts. I, I used to. I used to go swimming in Walden Pond. Oh no, in the next town over from Concord. Yeah. Oh wow! I didn't realize that. Very cool. <laughs> so you learn something new every day, right? That did, that did not come up in my research, Maria. That's, um, <laughs> so, uh, well, what else have you been up? I mean, has it really just been like? full-on, all day, each day, just promoting the book, doing media, or have there been other undertakings uh, that you've been involved in over these few months? Yeah, I mean, I've, um, I've started two new things, um, both for the screen. Um, I can't really talk about either of them because um, of NDAs and all sorts of fun stuff. Sure. But one is a television show and um, one is a screenplay. Wonderful. And um, yeah, so, th so that's been taking a lot of my time. Um, and then in terms of my next written thing, it's actually not going, that's not for the screen. Um, I'm also working on an Audible original. So Ooh. for those of you who liked the audio version of The Biggest Bluff, this one's for you. Or if you've been enjoying listening to this podcast thus far, you're going to get uh, the, the beautiful voice of Maria Kanakoffinger. Wonderful. <laughs> um, well, for the purposes of your book, of The Biggest Bluff, you obviously needed to immerse yourself in the game of poker, become a fully focused student and improve to the highest levels of concentration and focus and, and understanding. Of course, while you were writing the book, you kind of, I imagine, had to take a break from the intense study. So... At this point, though, are you back to studying or are you sort of taking a break still and maybe, okay, once you start getting back into poker a little bit more, you hit the books again? So what, what's the story there? Um, I mean, I'm still keeping a foot in the poker world um, in the sense of, you know, I'm still, I'm still looking at things. Um, I'm still reviewing some hands. I was in New Jersey in July to play online, mm -hmm. recorded a lot of my sessions um, so that... Um, I could do some review sessions with um, with Eric um, and with with Phil and with some other people. Uh -huh. um, so so I'm still I'm still doing that so that I can be ready to uh, to play when the time is right. But just to be perfectly honest, I really don't love online poker, um, uh -huh. and so live poker has been taken away. Um, I live in a place where you can't play online legally, um, so I would have to leave. Um, and so I am. Um, I'm waiting for the return of live poker and I'm not going to feel comfortable playing until there's a vaccine and we're at a very, very different point in time than we are right now. Mm -hmm. um, so there's are not going to be any casinos for me in any sort of near future. Um, I don't care if they reopen. I think that right now they should not be reopened. I'm actually mm -hmm. very mad at all of the casinos that have reopened because they're helping spread the virus. Mm, I can understand that. Um, and you, know, I, you had said before, 
that you didn't leave New York. And I was like, oh, I got to get you because I got the last question. And I know you went to New Jersey, but you went yeah. ahead and said it. So no, I, know, I know you went to New Jersey because I read this uh, amazing, phenomenal article by uh, Kashmir Hill. Yeah, um, she's great. The, yep, in the New York Times. Uh, you know, you were there, I believe, the entire month of July. Uh, no, no, oh. just for a few weeks. Uh-huh. Um, okay. a, like a week, just about um, a week and a half, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, what was that experience like? I mean, I guess really, like you said, you're looking forward to getting out of Manhattan, out of New York. I mean, it was yeah, just but that was a that was a that was a tiny, tiny studio. Um, but it was right on the water, so that was really nice. Um, okay. So it was really good to be um, to be able to go outside. That was actually the first time that I could sit outside because they they had um, an outdoor space without a mask um, mm-hmm. since March. So that was very nice. Okay. And uh, besides the online grind, were you able to sort of like clear your head, just you know, sort of change your place, change your location, and you know um, get a little yeah. Clarity? Unfortunately not, because Ooh. the media for the book was still going full full throttle mm. then. So I was basically spending the entire day doing interviews um, and then would play um, in the evenings right. through the early, through kind of late into the night. Um, the schedule was really, really bad for the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite sure why they decided to do it that way. Um, because it was a 6 p.m. start for people playing on the East Coast. And in real life, if we were at the World Series, I mean, most tournaments start at noon. Um, right. So it's a, they could have easily moved it up by three hours, and that would have been much easier for me and for oh. everyone, I think, playing from New Jersey. To uh, the powers that be, if you're listening, take note. Uh, <laughs> Well, one of the things we, of course, do here in Cards Chat, beyond me preparing a bunch of questions, doing a bunch of research, we turn to our community and we have dedicated threads where we can tell you guys, hey, we've got Maria Kanakova coming up and she's going to be interviewed. What questions would you like to ask her? And we want to give thanks to some of our community members who sent in questions. Uh, our first one is from Tracid. Um, and uh, here's a good one. We'll see uh, if it catches you a little bit off guard, Maria. Do you really swear as often as James and Joe imply? <laughs> um, I do. I do swear quite a bit. Um, I I do have a potty mouth, but um, but not. Uh, I, well, I don't know. I, I it's not a competition. <laughs> I, I don't know who swears more. Okay. <laughs> but yes, no, I actually, I do, I do swear quite a bit. Um, I have to watch it in interviews. Um, and I had one very hilarious experience when I was giving a keynote um, last year at South by Southwest. And um, I saw that there was, I was about to say, I, I don't remember if it shit or bullshit or something like that, something mm. that I say all the time. And I saw that there was a little kid in the first row of the audience and I felt really bad, but then mm. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what a synonym works. <laughs> so I ended up saying rubbish. Um, <laughs> Wow. And that was a that was a very funny moment, but my my brain would naturally just not think twice. I don't censor myself normally. Gotcha. And of course, for those who didn't know, James and Joe refers to James Hardigan, Joe Stapleton, uh, a great <laughs> Poker in the Ears uh, podcast and broadcast team. Um, our next question, actually, our next two questions, our last two questions, I guess, uh, come from Propane Goat. Yes, these are real names, uh, so or at least not not legal names. But uh, thank you, Propane Goat, for sending in this question um, for Maria. What was the biggest stumbling block? that you had to overcome at the beginning of your poker career? And what steps did you take to address it? I mean, I think the biggest stumbling block I, I had was that I 
it turns out that I really lacked confidence in any sort of kind of aggressive situations, um, that it's really, it's not me. Um, and it really, sometimes I theoretically knew what I should be doing, um, but I was trying to be a little too nice. You know, I, I didn't want to be seen as that bitch who, uh, who always raises me or who always three bets or who does this. So I wouldn't. Um, and I lost a lot of money because I was too focused on being nice and not Ooh. focused enough on playing well. Um, once I realized that obviously I, um, I worked on changing it. Um, I realized that, you know, you can be both nice and three bet all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Very good. Very good. Um, and I guess our, our final question, you did sort of address this already as far as your own uh, live poker plans and, you know, until there's a vaccine. We're wondering then, again, this is from Propane Goat, how do you think that COVID-19 will affect live poker in the long run? Um, you know, I, I don't know because I can't see, I can't see the future. I don't know when we'll have a vaccine. I don't know how effective it's going to be. You know, I, I don't really know, but I think that once we have an effective vaccine, once we have effective treatments, which we don't right now, um, once all of those things are in place, I think that live poker will come back. Um, but I hope that it comes back a little differently. I hope that casinos become much more permanently aware um, of just how nasty and what germ incubators they are um, and that they take a little bit more pride in keeping a cleaner space um, and maybe cleaning those chips sometimes um, and uh, changing out decks more often. I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't think it's going to happen, but I hope that we come back to cleaner experiences at the poker tables because I've never been anywhere as nasty as a poker table. That would, that would certainly be a silver lining to a very dark cloud. And I also hope that that's the case. Uh, Maria, before we go, anything else you'd like to share with the Cards Chat community? Um, no, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've really enjoyed speaking with you, and I really appreciate everything that you do for the poker community. Thank you for being such a positive force always. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, I guess with that, Wow, that's, that's really nice. Thank you. And thank you very much, Maria Kronikova. Thank you, everybody here at the Cards Chat Podcast for tuning in uh, to another episode. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.